It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Bandwidth for the Sunday Talk is provided by TalkShoe at T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E dot com. This is the Sunday Talk, episode 30, for May 24th, 2009, The Reboot Route. The Sunday Talk is brought to you by GoToAssist Express, the easiest remote support service available. Try GoToAssist Express free for 30 days. Visit gotoassist.com slash techpodcast. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this very serene episode of the Sunday Talk. Each week we discuss the week that was in Australian news, politics, media, food and health. If it's happened in the last seven days, then chances are you'll be hearing about it here on the Sunday Talk. Now, we're waking up after a three-week slumber. It uh, feels very nice to be back on the air. And as always, joining me here for our morning deliberations is Mr. David Hutchison. David, good morning. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning, everyone. And that is a definitely an original way of opening the show this morning. It has been a while since we were here last. We've got a fair bit on the plate to get through and uh, looking forward to uh, a nice, healthy breakfast. Ah, yes. Uh, very nice to hear a bit of... Uh here gint sweet but that's enough of that uh yes we're here back on the sunday talk back after a three-week break well hey uh sorry if you were just getting all comfy and serene there hearing that and thinking oh it's going to be a nice leisurely ah uh, what's a noise um we've got to go back to playing the turrican theme like i was playing before we started recording the show uh that 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 that'd certainly wake you up uh, but no, we have been off the air for about three weeks now, and we do apologise for that. There's just been a few things going on that have meant uh, it was a bit impossible to record an episode. And of course, as always with these things, the minute we go off the air, really big things happen. So we're going to be doing our best today to to try and catch up on those various incidents. Uh, today on the Sunday Talk, we'll be uh, having a look at the latest Star Trek movie, Star Trek Eleven, or as it was listed on the cinema that I went to, Star Trek The Future Begins, which I thought, why are they using the tagline in the uh, movie title? Uh, yeah, I'm curious about that myself because... Uh as I understand it, looking at the Wikipedia page on the movie, it was specifically called Star Trek without any references to Eleven or any episodes. So specifically so that you could get the newbies in without having to watch the whole previous continuity. Well, we're having a look at the new Star Trek movie and just asking ourselves, uh, what is the new Kirk really Kirk? And, uh, and what about that reference to uh, Captain Archer and his beagle? Uh, so that'll all be coming up. We'll also be having a look at uh, the life and career of one of the 
best actors ever to uh, be born here in Australia, Mr. Charles Bud Tingwell, who very sadly passed away uh, just over a week ago uh, due to prostate cancer. So we'll be uh, having a bit of a look at that and uh, I'll be explaining why I th- feel he's a, a massive loss to the industry. And uh, But also we'll... Uh, be having a, a bit of a look back at something that's been probably analysed to death, but we wouldn't be the Sunday talk if we didn't take something that had already been given a good flogging and flog it some more, and that is, of course, the 2009-2010 federal budget. So uh, some some big topics coming up there today uh, here on the Sunday talk. But before we get into that, I uh, just want to remind you that the Sunday talk is, as always, brought to us by the wonderful people at Citrix with their great remote support solution, GoToAssist Express. Now, David, you... Uh, well, actually, before I... Before I mention that, Dave, we must have to wish you a happy birthday for the other week, uh, the big 4-0. Thank you very much, yes. It was and a good day. Spent it with uh, family and friends, with a uh, big get-together, and uh, a good time was had by all, particularly by me, but that's, that's, uh, that's only to be expected, being the guest of honour at these things. Um, small small gift haul, but uh, uh, well meant, and have a... Have a Stuff I can, stuff I can, stuff I can use, and uh, have already put to good use. Well, that's great to hear. Now, when you had, when you were meeting up the family at any stage over the weekend, uh, were you ever asked anything about computers? Maybe you were asked to do a little bit of tech support for the family. On this time, fortunately, no. No. Well, that that was a very lucky escape for you because uh, I know whenever I get asked to do technical support for the family, uh, you find that you end up doing it invariably over the telephone and uh, you're sort of trying to explain to to mum or dad or whoever, oh, you just click this button here, do that. Uh, no, 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 that's not, that's not what it should do. And at the end of the day, it's a very frustrating experience. And you think, if only I could just get to that computer, I could... Instead of taking 20 minutes to explain something, I could just do it in two minutes. Well, that's where Citrix Go to Assist Express comes in. Uh, with Go to Assist Express, uh, you can remotely access uh, the desktop of a computer and uh, you can drive it as if it was your own computer right in front of you. Uh, it's very safe, 128-bit encryption, as all of Citrix uh, releases are. Uh, so there's no chance of, while you're doing the tech support, some malicious hacker getting into the system and uh, managing to uh, screw up the process or steal data so it's all very safe and secure and once you've installed the software on the remote machine it's as easy as logging in through your web browser now, the GoToAssist Express works both on Mac and PC. Sorry, uh, Linux users. Uh, this is not probably the year of the desktop for, for Linux. And uh, it works in Internet Explorer, Firefox, Safari, Opera, Chrome. Uh, I don't know if there's any other browser, but I'm sure it probably works in them too. And uh, Go to Assist Express. Very, very good piece of programming there if you want to help out with uh, tech support. It, might, it even works in the corporate environment. In fact, it's really more accurately designed for the corporate environment, uh, but it's also great for home use as well. Now, I know you're not just going to take my word for it, which is why we're offering you a free 30-day trial of Go to Assist Express. Uh, you can chuck it on a computer, try it out for a month, and uh, hopefully after that month you'll realize just how much easier life becomes for the family tech support guy. Now, to redeem this 30-day offer, all you have to do is point your web browser at gotoassist.com slash techpodcast. That's gotoassist.com slash techpodcast to redeem your free 30-day trial of GoToAssist Express. And we thank Citrix for their support of the Sunday Talk.
Well, the signs were obvious at the end of Budget Week 09. It was all about beer and SIGs up, except it wasn't about beer. It was about SIGs going up. No, the 2009 federal budget uh, seemed to be the budget about economic responsibility. Was it Labor... Uh, being the responsible one, borrowing money and putting us into debt to ensure that in the here and now things are okay and that we'll sort sort out the deficit problem once things get a bit better? Or was Malcolm Turnbull and the opposition the financially responsible ones, lampooning the uh, Labor government for irresponsible spending and turning a $22 billion surplus into a $57 billion deficit? David, uh, you're a man about town. Uh, do you uh, please that cigarettes could be going up considering you don't smoke? Well, that's the thing. Um, that's that's the thing. A lot of there's a, there's a lot of talk about about beer and cigs going up. I remember when that used to be a fixture of the budget every year that there'd be massive hikes in the uh, sales tax and excises put on beer and cigarettes. But I don't use either of them. I never started drinking. I never started smoking. So it's really it's so it's not that big a hit on my hip pocket. You've lived most a sheltered of, life. Most, sorry, you've lived a sheltered life. Oh yeah, guilty as charged in that respect. But uh, as, as we're saying, if you don't if you don't waste your money on those sorts of things, you really don't have to, that much to worry about it when the when the price goes up. Which is also what which is also one of the uh, big complaints. It was which is also one of the big complaints going on from uh, when the when the pops tax was introduced. Everyone's winching about the price of pops going up. But if you don't have if you don't have pops, you're not you're not blowing money on pops. You're not you're not losing anything out of your out of your hip pocket. Um, that's that said, that is that, that you that could be argued as being the alcohol component of both the last budget and this one, considering that it's considering that it's still uh, in the in the queue to be uh, dealt with by the Senate for the second time. So it, technically, technically speaking, the uh, two thousand nine, technically speaking, the two thousand eight two thousand nine budget hasn't been put to bed yet. And we're still we're already dealing with a 2009-2010 one, but uh, it, so so in it, so in that sense, the uh, the alcohol pops and the uh, cigarette cigarette size can be uh, can be can be viewed as the the usual beer and cigs price hike measure that was brought up, which was which was exactly which was exactly the line being uh, uh, put forward by the government when the when uh, Malcolm Turnbull made the proposal. To raise the cigarettes excise in his budget address and reply. Yeah, well, it was actually a really interesting budget. Uh, it's being sort of um, touted as the big debt budget because, of course, the the big figures that we all wanted to hear about on the night were what's the deficit going to be and and what's the uh, government revenue write downs. And so we're now looking at about a fifty seven billion dollar deficit uh, with a write down of over two hundred billion dollars uh, from tax revenue, which the interesting thing I found out during the week was one of the big reasons why they've got such a write-down on revenue, and that is that traditionally there's two sort of sources of government income, and it's always tax, but there's two aspects to it. There's the private income tax, uh, and which seem, which ever since about 2001 under John Howard has just been progressively being cut lower and lower uh, with those tax cuts that we've become it's almost become a, a fixture like you talk about beer and cigs up uh, being a feature of the budget almost in the sort of the last two terms of the Howard government it became a fixture of oh yeah we'll just get another tax cut what's the tax cut this year and uh, and, and, and what sort of takeaway meal could you buy with it that's right and uh, the other fact side of it is uh, business income from the business tax revenue now 
traditionally there's been a bit more of a balance between those two aspects. But as uh, the reason the Howard government were able to do the tax cuts was because for, for, for the income tax was the simple fact that business tax revenues were going through the roof because of the mining boom. And as a result of that, the, the balance was tipped very much in favour of business income tax, the, 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 the tax revenue that the businesses and the private sector, uh, the commercial sector were paying, um, were, were financing these tax cuts for the, for the private individual. But now that we've suddenly had these massive write-downs of business tax revenue, uh, it's meant that we haven't had the income tax from the private individual to supplement it and that's where the massive write down seems to have occurred however having said that the uh, the opposition were quick to focus on the fact that a 57 billion dollar deficit uh is sort of if you sort of fudge the numbers a little bit almost exactly the same amount that the government have spent on their last two stimulus packages and so they were very keen to point out that the labor government have been fiscally irresponsible that by offering these stimulus packages they've basically um burnt all this money and that it'll be um, the next 10, 15 years worth of taxpayers that will have to uh, foot the debt. Uh, my only problem with that is is that they kind of avoid the fact that all the data that's been coming in from retail sales figures and and uh, building construction figures have shown that, the for the most part, the stimulus packages were pretty much on the mark and, uh, and did exactly what they were meant to do, and that was stimulate the economy over the last six months. But, hey, let's not let some facts get in the way of a good bit of rhetoric. Yeah, they're almost like British tabloids in that respect. Oh, yes. But uh, so, yeah, so Wayne Swan came out on the Tuesday night and uh, basically said that we're going to have to work harder and for longer to overcome the impacts of the global recession. Uh, that much was pretty much a given. Yeah, well, the interesting thing was increasing the uh, pension age to 67 by 2023. Uh, I thought that was that was quite a clever idea, um, which, of course, the problem, the problem is that a lot of the things that they talked about are so far off in the future that uh, – it, it, you I find it interesting just that they, they tried to focus on them in the, uh, in the budget. You think, well, okay, yeah, 2017 will start to lift the pension every six month. Um, every six months will lift it a little bit more. And eventually by 2023, I think it is, they'll get to the age of 67, uh, which I thought was interesting, but I don't know how that's exactly going to help us in the budget here and now. But the main, uh, focus of it was, of course, there was the, um, the pension increase, uh, $33 a week, I think it was, or something. Uh, $32.49. Oh, it was pretty close. And it was 32 something. Uh, so, yeah, we can round it up to a fairly clean $33 a week, which is $3 or $2.49 above what the minimum was suggested. And that's going to cost a, uh, a fair bit uh, uh, of, uh, of, of money. Uh, that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest ticket items in this particular budget. Uh, of course, there was the allocation of, uh, the previously, uh, reserved $40 billion of Infrastructure Australia funds. They've now specifically allocated $22 billion of that to, uh, to a variety of projects that the Infrastructure Australia Committee over the last 12 months have managed to earmark, uh, so that that was that was really good to see. Um, they're also one of and now one of the big sticking points that was really interesting to look at was because um, we've already talked about the fact that the opposition have been rejecting the Alcopops tax in the Senate, but uh, are quite happy to see a uh, an increase in the in the cigarette excise. Uh, one other thing that uh, Wayne Swan announced was uh, that we're going to. Uh, Roll back the private health insurance rebate for high and middle income earners, and uh, and means test uh, the healthcare rebate, and uh, that was seems to be a, a real big uh, 
bone of contention for the opposition that they feel that it's uh, wrong to means test the healthcare rebate because they feel it's just going to drive people out of private healthcare into the public system, ergo putting more strain on hospitals, and uh, that putting a tax on cigarettes is is the more logical thing to do because it'll be of benefit to the uh, uh, to the population because less people will, in theory. By driving up the cost, less people will smoke and uh, improve their overall health. Yeah, that's also the, <clears throat> that's also the, the uh, same line being used by the government to justify the alcohol pops tax. But uh, getting back to the means testing of private health insurance, that was one of the that was one of the interesting points that came out in the budget, and also seemed to be the. Uh, also seemed to be the first point at which the ideological line was drawn because Malcolm, because, uh, Malcolm Turnbull in his budget, rep- in his address and reply used that to accuse the government of being ideologically driven to destroy private health insurance. And, uh, the, and the, uh, typical, and the typical, the old somewhat more measured response to that from the government was, uh, was uh, that uh, Michael Trump seemed to be similarly similarly disposed towards destroying Medicare, uh, as in uh, particular with his uh, particularly capitalising on the on the line that in a perfect world everyone would have private health insurance. That is so patently false. It, it, there, for, for, in, in, for, particularly for the particular fact that there is no such thing as a perfect world, and even if there were, it's very difficult to achieve. And also the fact that. If, if everyone had, if everyone had uh, private health insurance, it wouldn't necessarily fix or fix everything that's uh, supposedly wrong with the uh, health system, because there's still this, there's still this, the matter of how the health system is administered. Never mind, never mind where the funding's coming from, and also the uh, gaps between what health insurance covers and what the doctors charge, hmm. which is which has only been getting larger and larger as years go by. Very true, and uh, of course, the other big aspect of uh, of the budget that was addressed was uh, the environment. Uh, in which case, uh, we had groups like Greenpeace coming out and feeling that they were disappointed by the fact the government announced a two billion dollar investment in carbon capture and storage technology. Which I, you sort of think that's kind of a, an interesting line to take because once again, if we tie this into the whole ETS d- argument. This government really does seem to be uh, trying to uh, offer too many incentives to the mining industry uh, in terms of their environment policy and the way they're shaping their uh, climate change uh, response uh, by offering research money and investment money in carbon capture and storage, which at this stage has never actually been proven that it's going to work and it's going to be effective. Uh, And the Greens came out and said that this isn't really a green budget. Uh, I found all that quite interesting, but uh, the, when you throw it into the perspective, uh, it made sense to me when I suddenly thought about it and thought uh, it's in the government's interests in terms of the debt levels that have been chucked up to try and get the mining industry going again for at least another decade, if only because if we can, uh, with China building a new coal-fired power station, I think every day or something. Uh, that was the quoted figure, yeah. Yeah, that uh, it's in our interests to keep coal mining and all that mining export going out at least up until 2020, 2025 to, to try and get uh, the revenues flowing again because this government really do have some big plans, particularly in the areas of infrastructure, and they need that money flowing in. And uh, so you can sort of understand, I think, why they're offering so much money to carbon polluters uh, like the coal industry and the power industry because it's in their interests to get that money flowing again. Um, unfortunately, though, the problem there is is that it's 
probably not the best response in the context of what's happening at Copenhagen this year and the fact that we really do need to be between now and 2020 moving towards a very green uh, a green environment uh, approach. I must admit to being very skeptical about the, this whole business. Uh, the the the, uh, the uh, published responses from from the likes of Greenpeace and the uh, and the Greens Party about these sorts of things always always seem to infer to me that they'd they'd be happier if Australian industry just shriveled up and died completely. They, 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 they always seem to, they always seem to they always seem to bang on about how the uh, the, the proposed targets are insufficient for what they would pref- for what they would prefer these things to be, and the whole emissions and the, the whole idea of, of 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 companies being able to trade credits and debits as far as emissions is, is also something I'm not too keen on because, as far as I can tell, as far as I can tell, most of them are only going to use as a pretext for jacking up what they charge the end user for the products they supply. Hmm. Uh, but I suppose it comes back to ideological grounds. We talk about Labor and Liberals having ideological lines drawn in the sand over this budget. Uh, and the same with the Greens. I mean, they have a uh, – and, and, and Greenpeace. They have a very uh, basic argument and that is – and it's one that you sort of understand and that is that we have – we really don't – we're at the stage now where we don't have a choice. It's not like 10, 15 years ago where – you could take a 50-50 approach to, to climate change. Uh, we're now at the point where we need to start acting. We need to start acting big. And uh, what's the point of supporting the economy of the 20th century as it hangs over into the early years of the 21st century when quite clearly all the evidence points to the fact that we need to move to a gr- an environmentally green uh, economy and it needs to uh, we need to reduce our carbon emissions because if we start to boil away the oceans and uh, and and, cha- and don't stabilise the carbon levels. What's the point of having an economy based on coal if there's no one really around to enjoy the uh, the results? But by the same token, how much is this? How much is this uh, greener economy going to cost in jobs and in jobs and uh, and uh, infrastructure spending if it if it doesn't give any if it doesn't give people means to support themselves, let alone let alone their communities. Oh yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there, and that's uh, and that's that's the fine line that governments tread uh, with any sort of uh, environment policy at the moment. You have to support jobs now, which is what this budget was designed to do in the short term. The sort of the 2009-2010 component of the budget is very much designed around infrastructure, uh, supporting jobs, uh, making sure that we uh, aren't having that unemployment figure going up too quickly. Uh, they're sort of envisaging it by the end of this financial next financial year. It'll be topping out at 8.25%, going up to 8.5% by the end of the following financial year, and then finally starting to drop by the end of 2011-2012, starting to come down to around 7.5%. So here and now they have to support jobs, and it's sort of the longer-term focus, uh, sort of the next decade that they have to be thinking, well, yeah, we have to sort of slowly start moving towards it. And in a way, I think that's probably where their ETS revamp from earlier in the month sort of came from, that it was about uh, let's sort of have a bit of a slower start but have a, have a bigger finish, as it were. Uh, by So, it'll be interesting to see where, where that happens. Uh, one figure that I've just found interesting, and I might be reading this wrong uh, because, I mean, I'm not an economist and really it would have been nice to have gotten an economist on the program today to talk about the figures of the budget, but 
They're talking about with the budget forecast of a $210 billion revenue loss over four years, which is what I was saying before from the, the tax write-downs. But the, this financial year's write-down is expected to top out at about $50 billion. Now, the deficit for the same financial year is only $57.6 billion. Now, the question I have for, for Malcolm Turnbull, if we're in the House of Reps, he'd probably be able to answer it, but he's not probably not listening, so I'll never get an answer to this. But if... He felt that it was the government's reckless spending uh, that gave us this $57 billion deficit. Uh, how does he explain the fact that the write-down is expected to top out at around $50 billion? Surely that means we're only about 7 or $8 billion in actual government spending debt. Isn't, do you think I'm being reasonable reading it like that? No, that sounds that sounds that sounds right to me too. That's, that's, that, that sounds like it. That sounds like it makes sense. That's with, that's with all these sorts of big numbers and fancy statistics. They can be they can be presented and read in any number of ways for uh, all different sources for for, what, for whatever you want to uh, for whatever you want to say to to support whatever it is you want to say. There was a it was a big thing made in the uh, in the time between the budget speech and the address and reply that. Uh, that uh, Wayne Swan didn't actually say the numbers of what the deficits was, were going to be, because because that, that that seems to be the one thing that a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, commentators and opposition figures and and even some of the mug punters like myself that was what we were hanging out to hear. What was it really going to be? Eighty five billion was was one of the figures being banned, but was it really going to be that big? And I thought that that, that was the figure I was listening out for, and it was interesting that he didn't say it. But on reflection, did he really need to say it? No. It, well, at the end of the day, the, the, the interesting thing I heard was that, and I do agree with this, was that uh, I think the reason Wayne Swan didn't mention it in the speech itself was he didn't want there to be a, a definite sound grab of him saying the number that could be used in uh, advertising by the coalition in next year's election. No, they'll have to go, they'll have to they'll have to go into the uh, budget papers to get that instead. Yeah, and so it makes it it makes it a little bit more tough for the opposition. Uh, the interesting thing was with these budget forecasts was that there was the growth figures that we're looking at a growth of point negative point five percent for this financial year, and then essentially from next year onwards we're back into growth territory with a growth of two point two five percent next financial year and four point five percent the following financial year. Yeah, and some of those and some of those figures have already been criticised as being overly optimistic. Oh, very true. There's been a lot of criticism, least of all from the uh, from the from the federal opposition, who felt that uh, it was. Uh, very optimistic that Treasury uh, came up with these figures and that – although actually, no, the opposition were claiming that these were Wayne Swan's figures. And Wayne Swan was quick to point out that these were actually the Treasury forecast figures. Uh, and then ergo, Malcolm Turnbull, as Wayne Swan's argument went, you're actually just not criticising me, but you're criticising Treasury, the department that you yourself, when in government, relied on for – many, many years to give you accurate figures. So now you're claiming that uh, Ken Henry and his chums aren't being uh, uh, objective and impartial, that somehow uh, they're favouring us with their figures and, and not you. And so it was all a bit of a, that, a, bit of a stupid that's an argument. argument we've, that's an argument we've heard many times in the last few years too. From oh, both absolutely. Sides. Absolutely. Uh, the, the budget also offered increased funding for border security. Uh, the funding for health and hospitals was $64 billion uh, being uh, chucked up over the next five years. Uh, 
there was uh, one interesting thing I thought was uh, the uh, amount of money being spent on um, border protection, uh, nearly uh, about $1.3 billion for people smuggling and national security, which I thought was uh, very obviously uh, in response to the recent uh, Ashmore Reef incident. Yep, then another $1.7 billion to support the ongoing Af- operations in Afghanistan, East Timor and the Solomon Islands. Yeah, uh, so it's uh, it's good to see defence not being left out, he says with a slight hint of sarcasm. Uh, $2.7 billion for higher education, research and innovation, which was uh, always good to see the universities here getting some, some money chucked their way, uh, because after the 10 years of the culture wars, thanks to the Howard government, it's uh, it's about time that the university tertiary system here started to get a bit of a prop up. And of course, the ABC themselves got a got a, a nice little uh, bit with this being their triennial funding year. They got a, a bit of an increase in their budget, yeah. including one hundred thirty-six million dollars. According to this, that's going to that's uh, going to go towards setting up ABC Three, as it's officially been dubbed, and also also producing more local content. Interesting that uh, SBS were claiming they didn't get as much as they were hoping for as well. Uh, Apparently, it's their fund. Apparently, it was their funding triennium as well, so, and th- they didn't get everything they were looking for. Which means, uh, that while the uh, proposed rebranding of what is now going to be called SBS Two is going to go ahead in July, the proposed additional multi-channels of SBS Three and SBS Four may be put off further into the future. Yeah. So I think the two things I really took away from this budget uh, at the end of the day was one that. Uh, despite all the rhetoric we'd had from Wayne Swan and Kevin Rudd in the weeks leading up to it, this was going to be a tough budget and uh, it, was, it was going to be hard and there was going to be tough decisions made. At the end of the day, it really wasn't as tough as uh, as they'd ever said it would go, was going to be. There wasn't a lot there to really be terribly offensive to all that many. I noticed that too and I was thinking maybe that was the idea. Get everyone – get everyone uh, – Get everyone uh, a bit wary to, be, to begin with that that everything was going to be that it, that it was going to be tough, and then when when the, when the uh, actual measures were, were introduced, it almost seemed anticlimactic. You think, well, gee, it wasn't really that bad. Were they were they maybe uh, getting a bit worried over nothing? I, th- mm. I thought perhaps that might have been the idea. Oh, quite possibly. That if there's anything we've learned about the Rudd Labor government, and that is that they are first and foremost absolute experts at. Uh, manipulation of the media and the 24-hour news cycle that uh, that seems to be their big uh, big scorecard a plus uh, rating they they seem to really uh, be very good at that they're a very competent government uh, don't get me wrong uh, but certainly their big their big ticket item is the way they are able to use the media uh, to their own advantage and i think that's a very it's very clever very clever the way they do that uh, but the other thing that I took away from it was the fact that uh, even though they talk about all these budget savings that they that they've been finding last year and now this year, at the end of the day, at some stage they're going to have to bite the bullet, and uh, and with with the repayments on uh, they, I don't think the government can afford to just hope that we have a second mining boom following this uh, global financial crisis. There has to be some fundamental shake up of the budget process and and look at some serious savings, uh, or do the the in this day and age the unthinkable they need to start looking at putting up taxes quite possibly but uh, we won't know what anybody i don't think anybody of any color would be uh, too keen on going down that idea whether it was been uh, until it became until it became absolutely vital because that'd be the only way you'd even be able to get to justify it any other time there'd just be uh any other time you'd just be uh roundly 
roundly denounced as uh, as a uh, completely mangling the economy. Well, at some stage, it's uh, the the era of infinite tax cuts has got to come to an end. Uh, oh yeah, they, they can't just keep cutting income tax because it'll get to the stage where there's nothing left. But one sort of shining light in this whole tax situation is the fact that we have the uh, the, the committees on the tax reform uh, coming in later this year, and uh, all of that's designed to be a fundamental from the grounds up rethink of the entire taxation system in this country. And so hopefully there's some uh, some serious thought behind that and that the government are able to act on that uh, in the next couple of budgets. Uh, but, uh, I mean, final word on the budget was, of course, uh, how does this all wash with the general public? And at the end of the day, the latest uh, news polls came out uh, during the week, uh, and there was a lot made in the mainstream media about um, the, the public's response to the budget being less than positive, and there being all oh, these massive drops in approval for Kevin Rudd and these massive increases for Malcolm Turnbull, and oh, this is the declaration of the, the honeymoon for the Rudd government is over, and uh, the, the funny part about it was the majority of these me- mainstream media outlets didn't report on the fact that the at the end of the day, the only figure that really matters is the two-party preferred bay figure, and that actually went up for the ALP. Yeah, that everyone everyone was everyone was more preoccupied with the the big drop in Kevin Rudd's approval rating, which varied between six and ten percent depending on which paper you read. And and uh, the, the interesting thing about that was that uh, they both they both they both reported that. Uh, Turnbull's uh, approval rating had gone up by a smaller but, equiv- but equivalent amount. But, but yeah, those those extra two, the extra two difference in points had to go somewhere. But yeah, if, if but it, it is the two party preferred basis that is the only the only the only poll that matters, basically, because that is basically how the that's basically how the uh, the seats in the in the parliament are divvied up. It's the it's the two party preferred basis is on all the all the uh, electorates that make that make up the parliament. That's uh, basically uh, basically determine the uh, the uh, balance of who has which seat and how much and uh, how much clout they particularly have oh very true and uh, at the end of the day it'll uh, be interesting to see where the budget goes because of course now the the debate moves from what the parties want to do for the next 12 months and to which initiatives get through the house of reps and which initiatives get through the senate and how they get legislated and uh, that'll be what we'll be following over the coming months here on the sunday talk Well, once again, Captain Kirk and Spock and McCoy have gone where no man has gone before, or quite possibly where men have gone before, with the 11th Star Trek movie opening all around the world on the same day and uh, becoming quite a a big success story for the most part. Uh, Seems to be receiving good critical reviews. The fan reaction seems to be pretty positive. uh, And uh, audience numbers seem to be quite okay in the US in particular. Now, here in Australia, hasn't been as as big as it might have been, but uh, still seems to be uh, getting well received. David, you're a bit of a trekker. Uh, you've been to see Star Trek Eleven. Did uh, did you think it was a good outing for the crew of the USS Enterprise? Oh yes, I enjoyed it immensely. It, it was a it was a. I, I like the way they went about this film this time because it, it was it was a uh, it was the uh, it was a prequel you could say to the, to the. Uh, original series. Well, before we go any further, we should point out to everyone listening that we're not going to hold back on spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, you should probably skip the next 10, 15 minutes and um, pick us up at the next segment. Uh, But yeah, we're not going to hold back on uh, spoilers. Uh, That kind of annoyed me. The other week, Leo Laporte did a thing on This Week in Tech 
looking at the latest Star Trek movie and uh, said, oh, we're, just, we're not going to hold back on spoilers. And then basically the reviews that they did in the commentary, they didn't talk about anything because they said, oh, we, could, we might say something that people who haven't seen the film might spoil it for me. Think, well, come on, just do your bloody review. So it's good in a way we've waited a couple of weeks. So, yeah, yeah if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, uh, fast forward 10 minutes and pick us up for the next segment. But, yeah, David, you were saying? Okay, this is a this is a prequel to the uh, original series that uh, a lot of Trekkers know and love, but they've gone about they've gone about it in a in a slightly different way. It was going to well, the uh, the idea of a prequel has been bandied about from very from various sources uh, since the late nineteen sixties. It was it was reportedly one of Gene Roddenberry's ideas for continuing this the uh, series when it was when it was uh, cancelled for the second time. That uh, they could go, that they could make a a, a, a movie uh, pre- uh, out of a prequel story, uh, detailing how uh, detailing how Kirk and Spock uh, came to, came to be on the Enterprise and, and how and how the crew basically gelled together. Uh, it, I've also been I've also been reading around that um, that uh, nineteen eighty that the uh, producer of the second to fifth movies, Harvey Bennett. Also had a uh, prequel storyline uh, that that he wanted to uh, that, that that he wanted to uh, promote, but it was basically never really accepted all that readily by the uh, by the studio. They chose they chose instead to go on with uh, the other iterations of the franchise, the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, and eventually Enterprise was also. That's the the other thing. Enterprise was also billed as a prequel to the original series, but they they. That they uh, that they basically made it an, another iteration of the franchise, whole whole new cast. The only the only uh, similarity to the uh, the only similarity to Star Trek was the uh, the uh, credit to Gene Roddenberry in the title sequence, the basic premise of the show, and the name of the, and the name of the starship being Enterprise. Uh, this 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 time around the this time around it's it's more of a direct prequel. It, it concerns the same characters, although by ne- although almost purely by necessity that the, the uh, Ensemble has been completely recast, uh, and it's 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 it definitely predates the original series. But yeah, the, the difference is it's the difference is it's also gone down a uh, a reboot route. There are still things that tie it into the existing continuity. For example, uh, uh, I'll use I'll use I'll use the names he's credited Spock Spock Prime, as played by Leonard Nimoy. He's the only original cast member returning in this. Uh, New series version, you could say, of of Star Trek. That's the, that's it. That's the other thing I noticed. This is the um, third of the big franchises to have been rebooted. You could say the other the other two of note that I can think. Well, fourth now that I think about it. The other two, are, the other the others I can think of being uh, Battlestar Galactica, Bionic Woman, and of course our own favorite Doctor Who. Uh, so they've gone they've gone down the so they've gone down a reboot route, the, and the way they've done that is. Uh, uh, temporal disruption. Uh, the uh, the basis the basis of the plot begins in what is and was was the uh, the quote common future. There are references to it starting in the late twenty three eighties with Spock on Romulus, which it, which as uh, next generation treks will know is was where he was last sighted at the end of the unification episode. That was its title. And it also served, also seemed to serve that purpose at, at the time. Uh, and it involves the, the, the basic plot involves 
it starts at that point but comes back to a point roughly around roughly between the um between the uh what Trex would call the cage and series one in that, in that rough particular point and it's in, and it's at that point where you do get the there are there are the few things that you, that basically uh have been established in mythos that are depicted in the in the new film uh Kirk taking the Kobayashi Maru test for the third time and beating the game for once has is is depicted in, in this film so you see how it's done and it largely ties with some of the um, other fan depictions of what of what's going in the, of, of how, how of how it had been depicted in the past, based on the few scant references to it in the Wrath of Khan. So, so that much that much you can you can expect it. You can expect to see it, and you do see it, and it makes sense. Some of the other some of the other things you do you would not expect that are that are in there, and will really blow you away when you when you do see them. Uh, Those they're, they're the real surprises. Uh, I think it would be. I think it'd be. Uh, it is. It is a spoiler, but I'm going to say it anyway. The planet Vulcan is destroyed in this version. In this version of Star Trek, it's taken out by the by the uh, villain of the piece, Nero, who's come back. Uh, who has come back from the future to exact his revenge, uh, a, a misguided revenge, as it, trans- as it transpires when Elder Spock eventually tells young Kirk what the whole the, the full story. Uh, but it does make the, it does make these changes to the timeline. It's a it's a massive change to the timeline, and I could only draw and straight away I can only draw parallels to the destruction of Gallif- to the destruction of Gallifrey between the classic series of Doctor Who and the new series of Doctor Who. It is a big chunk to take out of the mythos. It's something that it's something that the, you don't really need to sustain the mythos, but the fact that it's gone uh, some. 200, 200, 250 odd years before it ought to be, where the existing continuity previously maintained that it was there, is going. To, it is going. It is going down a completely different path now, and that is that is based, that's also that is also I think one of the elements um, that does drive the plot. The fact that history has been changed, you can't necessarily change it back. Doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily detract at all from. From how things are going to go from there, there is this, there is the scope for things to be completely different without without being so completely different that you alienate a, a lot of the people. And I think a lot, and I think that will work in, I think that will work in bringing in new viewers. You may have noticed specifically this time around, the film is merely entitled Star Trek. We've been referring to it as Star Trek Eleven because we know it's the eleventh one in this series, and we've seen all the ones that have come before. But for but the whole point. The whole point of the reboot and the uh, and establishing a new continuity is that you, is to be able to bring in is to be able to bring in new viewers without having to with, with being with being able to uh, free them of the obligation of going back and seeing the seventy nine episodes and the nine movies and the four other series to be able to get the handle of what's going on. You can be you can you can go into this thing cold. Basically, you can come. You can come into. You can come into this version of Star Trek without having seen what's going on, without having seen what's happened previously, and still get the gist of what's going on now. Yeah, which I think is is the uh, now that I'll cut in after seven minutes of talk. Uh, Sorry, we, I think it's interesting that they've had to reboot the whole thing with this parallel timeline. Um, 
rubbish because uh, that's what it really is. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. The whole whole setup of the film is just absolute crap. Uh, let to, to pan to the fanboys. Um, I would have been more interested in J.J. Abrams just completely rebooting the whole thing from the ground up and not trying to pander to them. I think that would have just been a lot more interesting because I think the problem with the movie. And this is my big my big issue with the film is I can't decide if it's the best Star Trek film or the worst, uh, because of that fact that it's trying to uh, link itself in with the, the what what's gone before. Uh, because it it I'll be perfectly honest, it doesn't feel like Trek. The whole movie doesn't feel like Trek to me. It didn't look like Star Trek. It didn't feel like Star Trek. And that's because I am very much a child of the Berman era, the Rick Berman era of Star Trek going from next gen through to Enterprise, where there was a, a real sense of consistency. They'd built up a, a level of verisimilitude with the, with the franchise that uh, you knew what a phaser looked and sounded like. You knew what a transporter looked and sounded like. Um, starship design was, was all fairly consistent. And then suddenly walked into the J.J. Abrams version of all of this. And it's just, I don't know, it just felt so much different to me that I thought, well, really, they should have just, shouldn't have been Star Trek. It Probably they could have just done something else. Why did it have to be, why did this film have to be a Star Trek movie? That's probably my big question. Because uh, it, it just, but on the same token, um, there was a lot there to like about the movie. Uh, uh, I thought that the production design was, was simply staggering. You could see that it was the biggest budgeted Star Trek movie ever. Uh, clocking at about 130 mil or something, and I thought that was it was particularly well realised. Uh, some of the CG was uh, easily some of the best special effects work we've seen in any Trek film. Although to give past Trek films their due, the thing we have to remember is the most recent Trek film, bar this one, was back in 2002, and of course um, special effects have come a long way from 2002 to 2009. So it's only natural that. The CGI we're getting in this latest Star Trek film is is of a much higher standard and a much higher quality. Uh, but I thought the casting was particularly good. Uh, I thought Chris Pine, uh, yeah, I couldn't really see much Shatner in him. But uh, Zachary Quinto as Spock was just uh, unerringly uh, brilliant. Uh, he, he absolutely nailed that. And you could, particularly that scene at the end where he and Nimoy... Uh, have their little chat uh, at Starfleet uh, in San Francisco. I thought they, uh, you, you could just, it, it was just like watching father and son or the same person at two opposite ends of their, uh, of their, uh, life cycle. Uh, I thought, uh, 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 Simon Pegg as Scotty was, uh, particularly good. Uh, I thought he was, he was quite, uh, quite amusing. Uh, he, he, you could sort of see the starting of the, of, of the Scotty that we knew from the classic series and, 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 and from the movies. Uh, and I have to be honest, I did have to have a slight chuckle at the, uh, the Enterprise reference there with, with Admiral Archer and his beagle. Uh, I thought, I thought that was a nice little nod, uh, to, to that particular series. Yeah, I, I, spot, I spotted that too. I did, and I, I had to be. I was. I. That was one thing. I. One thing I was, I was watching. I had to be very careful not to spend the time spotting references. You, because you, you want. Because uh, I wanted to. I wanted to enjoy the thing as a standalone product. Yes, you do still spot the references. Uh, you, you do still spot the references. Uh, McCoy still says he's a doctor, not a physicist. Well, that was a bit well, hand-fisted. Yeah, sorry. That was a bit ham-fisted. Yeah, and and later asks and later asks Spock if asks Spock if he's out of his Vulcan mind. Yeah, no, there was enough. I mean, there was enough nods and visual and sound references to to the sh- to the movies in the show that we all know and love. But because it was just repackaged up in this whole new look and feel, uh, 
it was just hard for me to sort of sit there and uh, and reconcile this because this is my other big sticking point with the movie and why I can't decide. For me, the 24th century is Star Trek, not the era of Kirk. For me, the captain of the Enterprise isn't James T. Kirk, it's uh, Jean-Luc Picard. That's the captain of the Enterprise that I associate with more than I do with Kirk and Spock and McCoy. And I think there's a whole group of people out there, fans and that of Star Trek, that probably feel the same way. And uh, I was more, I'm more interested in seeing the next adventure of the Enterprise E rather than the, uh, than the original classic series um, Enterprise. But uh, I suppose in an American cultural terms, which is what this film is being aimed at, Kirk and Spock are still seen as the, uh, as the quintessential characters. Um, oh yeah. With uh, sort of the, the, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy representing the three aspects of of any single character: uh, the, the, the 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 mind, the body, and the spirit. And uh, it's it's interesting how they sort of none of the other future Star Trek iterations really managed to capture that uh, as successfully as the first group did. Uh, and so I can understand that. But uh, I mean, overall, the plot was uh, was pretty good, aside from the the let's pander to the fans by making sure that we have a very definite, obvious line of. Uh, where how this all fits together, just so we don't upset the continuity hounds. Uh, I like the idea that they've reset the whole universe, that now anything can happen, uh, because the problem with doing a prequel, as we found with Enterprise, was that uh, you try to do anything out of the box and the fans will just be all over you, uh, like we saw with Enterprise when they featured the Ferengi or when they featured an episode with the Borg, even though in and, terms of the narrative... And there were... And there were... Um, and there were... Uh, What's the term I'm looking? What's the term I'm looking for? There were rigid, headed Klingons in the very first episode of Enterprise when it was supposed to be a hundred years pre-original series, and original series had completely different makeup treatments for the Klingons, mm. completely different by budgetary cons- budgetary constraints. I uh, hear there was. I uh, hear they actually had to put a. I uh, hear they actually had to put a plot element into a. Uh, episode during the uh, Zindi War arc of Enterprise to be able to explain that difference. No, it was actually the year later. They did a three-part episode, uh, or was it two? Two or three-parter based around, uh, I think it was an episode called Affliction that uh, looked mm. at uh, the, the situation with the Klingons. But anyway, leaving aside all that kind of junk about continuity and all that, um, uh, the, the thing was is that the, the fans got uppity about the Borg and the Ferengi and, all, and the Klingons and all that kind of stuff in Enterprise. And that's where I think your narrative is hamstrung, that you can't do that. Like, Regeneration, the episode with the Borg, was a brilliant episode, absolutely fantastic, the best Borg episode since uh, Best of Both Worlds. And uh, but some fans just out of mind just say, no, sorry, uh, we, we, we don't want to touch it, uh, in much the same way that they won't touch the Season 2 episodes, Season 1, one of the early episodes, Acquisition, where they had the Ferengi knock out the entire crew of the Enterprise uh, and, uh, and start to steal stuff. Uh, and... They sort of go, oh, yeah, but they never mentioned the race's name. The Borg never said, we are the Borg, and the Ferengi never identified themselves. So, of course, it's all okay. But by opening up and blowing away Vulcan, by having the timelines change, all this sort of stuff, and saying that now their destinies are not fixed, this is a parallel universe, uh, I think it just means that in the one sense, the fans who don't like the movie can say, oh, well, um, the original timeline's still there and that's all okay. Uh, but for those people that are coming on board now, for new can say, oh well, that's um, it's uh, it's great that uh, now they can do whatever they want. Although the disappointing part is, is that now it uh, the obvious thing that they seem to be talking about in interviews is the second movie is going to deal with Khan, and it's now about uh, re envisaging, reimagining 
all of the classic series elements. So I'd be more interested to see them uh, uh, try something completely different. Yes, we know the the Botany Bay is still out there and Khan and his um, augments are, are in suspended animation, but uh, let the original series be the original series and do something new uh, yeah, with you, the new you movies. Just said, you just said anything's possible. They could do anything and uh, ideally they should be, should be uh, doing something other than what has gone before. That's exactly right. They should be going where no man has gone before. Literally this time. Mm. Um, no, I, th- I, I mean, the, the script was was nicely written. Uh, special effects were good. Uh, I thought the casting was, was really good. Eric Banner was uh, – uh, it was nice to have the first Aussie Romulan uh, which I thought was which was quite funny. Uh, his uh, Aussie accent slipped through more than more than a few occasions. I don't know if that was intentional or not. I didn't notice. Yeah, oh, there's a few instances where I just you thought, oh yeah, there we go, good on you, Eric Banner, your Aussie accent. We've got an Australian Romulan. Uh, I thought that was quite nice. Uh, and just overall, I thought they they did a damn good job with the film, uh, but. I still haven't come to a decision as to whether or not by calling it Star Trek and making it Star Trek, if that was a good or a bad thing. But uh, suffice it to say, uh, it seems to be getting good dollars in the US. Uh, here in Australia, it doesn't seem to have done as well as people might have hoped. I know um, when I went and saw it, I saw it on had gone to went, had intended to see it opening night, but couldn't get there because of a work function. I didn't get away from work until nine o'clock that night. It was a bit late to go and see the movie then. And uh, then I saw it, and saw it on the Friday night, and in the, the cinema there was maybe ten or fifteen people there on a Friday night at about six thirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to I went to Chermside uh, to see it on the on the Saturday of the. Not the not that not the following weekend. The week not the first not the weekend after release. Not the first weekend. I went on the second weekend, and yeah, there there were quite a few more well, more than a few empty. I'd say the place was only. I'd say that particular cinema was only about oh roughly a quarter full. But it did but uh, they do have allocated seating at terms. They did so. I, so I wasn't sitting directly next to anyone. So uh, so. Uh, so uh, hopefully, uh, didn't hopefully I didn't spoil anything for anyone who was there. If I if I if uh, if they heard me say thank you after the uh, after the uh, after spotting another efforts. Yeah, so it's, I, it'll be interesting to see how well it goes. I mean, they've already commissioned two sequels to this Star Trek, Paramount, just based on the preview tapes and all that. The executives saw even before the film opened, uh, and at this stage, it. Uh, seems to have uh, brought in at the time of recording it's brought in 245 million dollars uh, so it's uh, basically nearly doubled its budget uh, of 150 mils so that's uh, that's good to see that it's made its money back and now we've got uh, Abrams uh, Orkey and Kurtzman, and Kurtzman now looking at um, the sequel which as I said the rumours seem to be going around that it's going to deal with uh, basically a rewrite of uh, Wrath of Khan or would it be a rewrite of Space Seed uh, whichever way I don't know frankly don't care uh, <laughs> it'll be out in two years time and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens I like at the moment on Wikipedia it's uh, enti- it's called Untitled Sequel <laughs> I like oh, the way yes, that's a, that's a utilitarian way of describing it mm. utilitarian yeah. Oh, that, uh, that's a that's a big word that I probably shouldn't use because I'm not entirely certain with what it means. But uh, make a difference makes a difference from minimalist. Mm. But but I, I mean, do know what that means, but it didn't seem quite right, right, right word to use. At the end of the day, uh, it was an exciting movie. There was a lot to like in there, and if you haven't been along to see um, 
Star Trek Eleven. Uh, make sure you get along and see it. It'll be closing in the next couple of weeks. It, these things only tend to last four or five weeks in cinemas. So make sure you get along and see it because if you're a Trekker, I suppose you've already seen it, but if you're not a Trekker, um, it's worthwhile going to see because it is on its own merit. It's a good science fiction action-adventure film, uh, which is sort of in the best traditions of Star Trek. It uh, it continues that old wagon train to the stars type idea. Yeah, I know a few people have complained that uh, it doesn't have the sort of social commentary in it that uh, that Trek became known for. But in all honesty, when you're dealing with the plot of a reboot and trying to introduce characters, you don't have a lot of time to deal with that kind of socio-political commentary that uh, Trek became quite known for. Uh, and But then again, the flip side of that, I feel, is that that socio-political commentary was one of the things that ended up killing the show because it became so heavy-handed and so um, boring that uh, you sort of thought, oh, if I just have a bit more action adventure in here, it'd be a bit more interesting. So hopefully yeah, uh, they get yeah. the balance right with these new movies. And will this lead to a new TV series? It's hard to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I don't mind. I don't mind the occasional reference to uh, to social political things, but yeah, there there is such a thing as overdoing it. Uh, I, uh, I, I was I was turned off the whole I was turned off the whole Zindi War arc of the I was turned off the whole Zindi War arc of Enterprise because, just because it seemed a whole massive war on terror parallel that I thought we really didn't need. Considering it was considering it was filling our evening news bulletins every second night at the time, well, that's a shame he gave up on the Zindia because that was actually some of the best stuff that Enterprise ever did. Oh, I'd stop. I'd stop watching Enterprise long before the Zindia. Uh, oh, Enterprise. See, I'm funny. I um, like I I tend to like the ones that the fans don't like. Like, I mean, I love Deep Space Nine. Uh, although it's amusing that it uh, it hit the whole. Um, War parallel a whole decade before it really started to become big in culture. Uh, I thought that was fascinating, uh, and but I, I, I didn't mind Voyager. Uh, there was some a lot to like about Voyager. I thought in terms of that action adventure type feel. Yeah, there was a lot of rubbish in there. Next Generation uh, was 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 quite good uh, as in terms of um, a sequel to the first series. But I loved Enterprise. I thought Enterprise was easily uh, one of the better. Uh, versions of the franchise, uh, particularly in its uh, third and fourth seasons when it got really good. It was just a shame it got cancelled when it did. Yeah, almost almost didn't uh, almost didn't uh, make it to the end. Although I do hear that that was one of the, another one of the things they had to they had to uh, chop and change as near the end to uh, wrap up the story arc. Same way same way it uh, had to happen with the. Uh, Season four of Babylon Five. Mm. Although I have to be honest, I'm probably one of the few people in this in this world who really like the final episode of Enterprise. Uh, that seemed to cop a lot of hate from the fan community, but I loved it. I thought it was great. I have to ch- I have to check it out sometime. Ah, yes, these are the voyages. Is its a title, and it's probably on YouTube somewhere. But no, go and check out Star Trek Eleven because the future begins now. Well, some shocking news came to light just the other week uh, while we were off air that uh, one of the most beloved actors in Australian history, Charles Bud Tingwell, had passed away at the age of 86. Uh, I have to be honest, it was quite a shock logging on to the ABC News site that particular uh, morning uh, to uh, discover that uh, he'd passed away due to prostate cancer, uh, which is quite sad. And now, Bud Tingwell's been a, a bit of a staple of uh, Australian film and television for the last uh, 40, 50 years. 
And uh, David, I'm sure I'm not the only one in thinking that uh, his presence on our screens will be sorely missed. Oh yes, indeed. He, he had uh, he had quite a uh, quite a broadened, long running career. I only I only really caught the tail end of it. Truth be known, well, the uh, you, for, for, you could call it a revival. You, you could say when he was when he was cast as the role of Gramps in the late show's uh, adventure show satire Charlie the Wonder Dog in their series The Late Show in '93. That was the first time I'd seen him. I'd seen that was the first time I'd seen his work. I had heard of him before that. But that was the first time I'd seen his work. Yeah, well, for a lot of people of uh, particularly of my generation, that was the big ex- the first big exposure to Charles Bud Tingwell, and then thanks to the people at Working Dog who went on to produce films like The Castle and The Dish, uh, they were able to, in which he featured particularly in The Castle, uh, he featured quite heavily uh, as the the, the the QC that uh, helps Daryl. Um, uh, Kernigan or Ker- Kerrigan, or Kerrigan, I think his name was. Kerrigan, yeah. Um, uh, fight the development to win his house back. Uh, it was sort of one of those roles that kind of really made you sit up and think, yeah, actually, he's a, he's a pretty good actor. And sort of ever since then, I've sort of tried to follow his career with a, with a fair bit of interest. Uh, of course, another one of another program I've seen him in was the ABC TV series Changi, uh, where he played. Uh, the older version of uh, Matthew Newton's character uh, in the first episode. Uh, but the, the, int- the, the thing that really kind of blew me away about the news was just the fact that because Bud had been around for so long and had been in the industry since the since the 60s, uh, he, uh, it, it sort of almost felt as though he was going to be here forever because uh, he, he never seemed to, to look that much older, particularly in his uh, sort of post-Charlie the Wonder Dog uh, era where he just seemed to, to never really age. He was always that sort of paternal grandfather figure. Much the same role as he was playing in Charlie the Wonder Dog, yeah. Mm. And, of course, uh, the other thing that really sort of fascinated me is Bud Tingwell was one of those very uh, few lucky actors uh, who never really turned in a bad performance. Uh, it didn't seem to matter what he was playing, whether or not it was uh, straight comedy or straight drama or somewhere in between. Uh, he always seemed to be able to pitch his performance at a perfect level. And uh, in that regard, I think uh, in this sort of era where uh, a lot of actors tend to turn in fairly average performances on on quite a regular basis and in particular bad actors just because they have the right appearance and and have the the good looks tend to get a lot of lead roles uh it's kind of a bit of a sad thing to think that uh we've lost one of the the truly great actors of of this country uh tom glasner and rob sitch were interviewed in some of the um report reporting of the uh passing of bud singwell and they they both commented individually on how easy it was that they could work with Bud Tingwell in the, in their own respective projects, where other more modern actors would probably be a, would probably be uh, a little standoffish with uh, with uh, uh, or picking and choosing with some of the roles they did. They they both come that uh, even though uh, Tingwell did have such a long book career that he was still able to do smaller projects like Charlie the Wonder Dog and be able to. And, and that they could work with him so readily. That's, that's the other, the other interesting thing I noticed about, about, uh, the, the post, the, uh, post-event reporting and also, also, uh, the, uh, broader appeal 
of the man himself. He is one of the few people that I've heard of in recent times where you just will not hear a bad word about them. Hmm. And that's the big thing that really struck me was that uh, it seemed that the characters that he played in films like The Dish and, as we said, Charlie the Wonder Dog, uh, that he they really seemed to reflect in a lot of ways just to who he was as a human being. Uh, and I think that's uh, just uh, even on a more basic level, we've kind of lost a nice guy. Uh, and you sort of mentioned about his, uh, his work. Uh, apparently, he also used to do a lot of uh, independent short films and, and things like that. And, and for me, that's one of the big disappointments is that uh, I was always sort of – because that, of that perception that Bud had been around forever and in theory would be, because uh, I mean, I didn't even know he was that – he was he was 86. I he sort of – he was one of those people who thought, that, actually, what is his age? I wasn't never, – never quite sure. But uh, I always thought, oh, it would be nice if you could work with him on a project someday, uh, either because I'm a drama teacher, it would have been great to have had him work with some of my students or uh, because of our – media background, it would have been wonderful to have either, I don't know, something like get him on the Sunday talk for a chat or have him appear in a film or something. So it's a real it's a real shame that uh, that sort of uh, thing I've sort of had on the, the list of many things to do for the last 10 or so years, and unfortunately now has uh, kind of been or rather a bit of a moot point. Yeah. It's it's all it's also it's also one of the things that I, that I've that I've noticed not just in this particular case but in other instances in the past. You mentioned it before. You, you seem to think that the person will always be around, and or, or almost becomes almost becomes immortal. You could say in the uh, in the uh, public eye. So when when the uh, when the uh, obituary does come, it can even it can be even more of a surprise. It's, it's something that's many people just don't countenance that they're uh, they're that that a favorite celebrity or famous person may not be around uh for forever in a day it, it it's i i put that more i put that down to human nature more than anything else though yeah uh very much agreed well, Charles Bud Tingwell, you were an absolute treasure of Australian film and television and the stage. And uh, uh, as mentioned, he's survived by his son Christopher and his daughter Virginia, who uh, Virginia apparently is an actress. And uh, so, uh, wish our condolences to uh, to the, the the Tingwell family and through this uh, what would obviously be a, a very sad time. And uh, as we've said, Australia has lost one of its uh, its acting greats. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Sunday Talk. Uh, another 70 minutes just seem to have flown by at a ridiculously fast pace. And uh, even though we haven't managed to talk about every single topic we might have liked to talk about this week, uh, we've managed to get through some of the big ones. David, how do you think we went this week? We certainly got a fair amount in this time around. And uh, considering it's considering it's that we had a backlog to build up, I think we've done well in clearing away at least the bigger articles that are involved and uh we'll have pl- we'll have plenty to go forward with in the future absolutely because of course uh topics we didn't really get to today that we probably should have was of course the latest on the swine flu situation just when we thought it was safe to go back and eat some pork uh the uh that was me trying to parody jaws but uh yes, I'm on that, and that's good and that's 
going com- that was the uh one complete uh, that was a one complete incorrect assumption that uh everyone i thought at least or at least everyone everyone outside of egypt at least had actually got the hang of this time round but but it's still have to we still have to we still have to use it for a joke at least very true but uh yeah so swine flu seems to have made a bit of a resurgence with uh now the number of confirmed cases here in australia slowly starting to escalate and i'm sure over the next four or five days we're going to see that number which is up around the dozen 15 mark or something at the moment is going to slowly continue to increase uh which you suddenly think oh that swine flu thing we thought it was all done and dusted but uh no it seems to be going up and up and up so that's something we should be keeping an eye on and of course uh with all the wild weather that we've been getting over here in uh, southeast queensland and northern new south wales over the last four or five days has also been a, a bit of a, a situation of concern, which was another topic we didn't quite have time this week to get to on the Sunday talk. Well, at least our uh, online listeners this morning would have had a uh, would have had the chance to hear me rabbit on at rather ridiculous length about it in one of our filler segments. Yes, well, that's of course a good point to remind people that uh, each week we record the Sunday talk live on TalkShoe.com. We usually start at around eight a.m. Uh, and go through to about ten ten thirty. Uh, and, of course, we actually feature a lot of material that you don't get to end up hearing in the MP3 download. The MP3 download is kind of the the, the, the big broad brushstrokes, but uh, there's a lot of stuff that uh, we don't include. So if you want the full Sunday talk experience, it's worthwhile trying to tune into the live stream each Sunday morning through TalkShoe.com. Uh, in addition to extra segments and extra discussion, uh, we also feature some great independent music. Uh, each and every week on the Sunday Talk, thanks to our friends at Aerial Cyber PR. So, uh, yeah, well worth checking it out. And you can find us on the web at www.thesundaytalk.com, where you can not only access the live feed each and every Sunday morning, but you can also access our Twitter feed, uh, a discussion forum, if you want to post some comments about the uh, latest episode. Uh, you can also access our Cafe Press merchandise store, uh, donation button through PayPal if you'd like to help out with the running costs of the program, uh, and all manner of uh, wonderful Sunday talk goodness uh, to help tide you over in between the what is usually a seven-day gap between episodes. Usually. Yes. Sometimes it isn't, but it usually is. That's right. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so this brings us to the end of episode 30. David, thank you very much for joining me today. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. And uh, my name is Matthew Kapoki signing off here today on the Sunday Talk. Uh, we'll be back next Sunday, uh, the 31st of May, for the final episode of the Sunday Talk in May, uh, episode 31. Episode 31 on the 31st. Hey, how We've good hit is that? the numbers again. That is brilliant. Last time we're ever going to be able to do it. So uh, that's certainly something to, uh, to be excited about. Episode 31 on the 31st of May. So join us next Sunday for that, either at 8 o'clock on the Sunday morning for the live stream or about 4 or 5 p.m. that afternoon is when the MP3 download should become available. Uh, we'll just go out now with the usual musical tones of Mr. Mark Blasco, the wonderful gentleman based in the United States who brings us the wonderful Sunday Talk theme each and every week. Helps to set a really nice tone for the show. Goodbye, Australia. See you later, everyone.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.